Warner Solicitors provide advice on a range of legal matters to individuals, families and businesses. The leading legal directories regularly recognise Warners as offering some of the best legal advice in the region. This series of podcasts will give you an insight into some of the legal issues that may affect you and your family. I'm Paul Harvey and welcome to the Warners Solicitors series of podcasts. I'm delighted to introduce Martin Terrell of Warners for this podcast and we'll be discussing Court of Protection. Now, before we go into the topic, Martin, welcome. Please describe what you do with Warners. I've been a solicitor for nearly 30 years now, and for most of that time, dealing with an ever-increasing number of older clients who find themselves under the jurisdiction of the Court of Protection. And it started off as a sideline of my work, and it's become the really mainstream part of my work. Martin, let's describe what is the Court of Protection? So its history goes back to the the Middle Ages, but it's the judicial body that has jurisdiction over the the affairs of people who lack capacity to make their own decisions. And that includes uh, financial decisions as well as decisions over their body and their welfare. So what sort of decisions can the Court of Protection make in that case? It has an incredibly wide jurisdiction to make all all sorts of decisions um, over money, property. It can make wills for people. It can make settlements, gifts... Generally, it will appoint a deputy, so that's an individual who has authority to make decisions on behalf of a person who lacks capacity. The court can also um, make welfare decisions, so that includes anything from deciding where someone should live to what sort of medical treatment they should have. And in extreme cases, the the court can um, authorise the uh, withholding of life-sustaining treatment. So often you see these quite um, high-profile and very emotive cases of people whose life cannot be sustained. So what does a deputy actually do and how difficult is it to become a deputy? In most cases, the court can't make every decision for every person who can't make their own decisions. So it'll delegate its powers to an individual who's who's a deputy to make decisions on behalf of the incapacitated person. And often that's um, a close family member, a relative, and often it's a solicitor. And it's quite common for solicitors to, to act as deputies um, I act as a deputy for about 80 uh, individuals, so it's, it's, it's a quite, quite a large part of our practice. There are a lot of cases where there are no family members who can act, and um, a lot of cases where there were family members, but for various reasons uh, they've been removed because of incompetence, negligence, or even fraud. So then so the court will appoint that individual to act as, as deputy, and usually there's quite a long process to get to that point. It's one of those courts where you can always do it yourself, but it's uh, you've quite a, a long-winded process involving a lot of paperwork because the court doesn't really know anything about the individual. At the start of the matter, um, you're dealing with a blank canvas, um, you're expecting the court to make very far-reaching decisions. So you need to produce a lot of evidence about that person, about their life, their property, the decisions that you want the court to make or the deputy will need to make, and above all, medical evidence to satisfy the, the medical capacity threshold to show that the person lacks capacity to make the decisions in question. So what could be the major challenges that could face you as a deputy? The problem is that every individual is, is, is different and you have to work with the Mental Capacity Act, which is meant to be, well it is, it's an, it's an empowering piece of legislation. So it starts with a presumption of capacity and allows or encourages people to make the decisions that they're capable of making. When you start with an individual you've never met before, you need to know what decisions they can make and you should encourage them to make those decisions. 
and then you want the court to authorise you to make the decisions that they can't make. So often there's this sort of grey area between decisions people can make and decisions they can't make. So you've really got to establish, you've got to know the individual, you've got to know what they can do, what they can't do, and uh, sort of try and find the right approach between that. Those two perspectives. The hardest part is knowing the client, knowing the individual, and what they can do and what they can't do. As far as possible, you, you work with the person, and you, and you want to support them, you want to work out what sort of life they want to lead, where they can live. The challenge is trying to meet the expectations with the realities. You know, some people want to live very independent lives, and they're very stubborn about it. Some people have um, a lack of insight into their situation, so that they're not realistic about what they need. They often lack the resources to meet the life they want to leave. The other extreme, where people have the resources, but don't want to use them, because they think they're absolutely fine, they don't need any help, but actually, if they applied their resources wisely, they could have a lot of help. How many years have you been working with the Court of Protection, Martin? I've been doing this for about 25 years, 25 years. So what do you like most about working with the Court of Protection? It's very satisfying to be able to make a difference to people's lives and to support them when there isn't, they're not able to support themselves. So you can step in and help that individual to make the most of their lives, whatever state of life they've got available to them. And that's very satisfying. It's also it's very satisfying when, when you've got a slight, sort of slightly chaotic scene in front of you of uh, maybe someone who's been neglecting themselves their property is falling apart, it's, it's all a bit, a bit of, a, of a mess and they've not been managing. And then if you're a, a deputy, you can actually step in and use your authority as a deputy and the jurisdiction to actually put their affairs back into order, sort out the, the paperwork, the finances, get the house repaired, get the equipment they need, uh, make sure that they have the, the care and support they need. And then you go back six months later and you see someone living in their own home, enjoying the view out of their, out of their windows onto the garden that they've loved so much. And it, that, that, that's really satisfying. I can imagine. And I'm going to ask the, the counter question. What do you most dislike about working with the court of protection? Working with the court is quite frustrating. It's a fairly bureaucratic process that it imposes on anyone who goes near it. And, and that's understandable because it, it needs evidence about what people can or can't do. And it's making very important decisions about their lives. It's, it's also a system that assumes that these important decisions will be taken by judges, so there's a limit on their resources. And the court can't manage with the, the volume of work it has, especially where decisions have to be taken seriously by judges. There aren't enough judges to do the work, so there are delays throughout the system. At the moment, it's taking uh, over six months on average to get a deputy appointed from start to finish, which is very frustrating. So you've got a, an individual you're dealing with who needs a deputy because there are, there are affairs in, are, are in disorder. You know, the house needs to be sold, they need to go into care, they need money to pay for care. It's a distress purchase at the time you start. The clock is ticking already, and then to wait another six months to get your deputy appointed is quite a frustrating process. The court makes it difficult for you. Um, there's a lot of paperwork and bureaucracy go that goes with it. You have to endure that as part of the job. So the court checks very carefully that it's, it's appointing the right person with the right authority. And then once you've been appointed, you've got the, the public guardian, which is another body which supervises and, and checks up on deputies. So you have to do annual reports and accounts. Uh, so they get scrutinised. Yeah, there's a lot of paperwork. It's a pain, but it's also quite necessary. And then when you're doing the work as a solicitor, then your, your costs are also scrutinised, so you have the, the costs office to deal with, so there is more paperwork. So we have a, a very paper-heavy 
office that we have to manage. That's a challenge. The other challenge is some of the, the individuals we deal with are quite difficult. The relatives are also very difficult. But that's what makes the work interesting and enjoyable, is, is that you have the, the full range of humanity, from heroes to villains, from saints to sinners. <laughs> you get the most, the most wonderful people, the, the most devoted carers, people who are a joy to see. And then you, you get the other side, whether they are, even your own clients, you, you may not particularly like, they're not nice individuals, but you do, obviously you do your best for them. And uh, mm. some of some of the relatives and carers that you come across who are you know, from the ones who are just difficult, the ones who are very suspicious of anyone else um, intruding into their lives, down to the downright crooked. We have seen some horrific cases of, um, of financial abuse, of children taking money from their parents, helping themselves to their money, good neighbours taking control of, of um, the vulnerable neighbour next door and literally siphoning off hundreds of thousands of pounds into their own pockets. Martin, I think you could write a book, couldn't you? I have written oh, you have. a couple of books, so yes, uh, sort of technical textbooks, but I, I think a, a collection of, of stories. That's my aim, to write up some of the, the, the stories. There's a human side to this that you could cover in a dramatic way, and I guess COVID has also thrown a spanner in the works over the last year in terms of preventing you from really getting on with delving into information at arm's length and in a virtual platform which must have been very challenging for you it's been very challenging uh, but it's, it's gaining access to individuals because you really want to, to see people um, also when you're dealing with a corporate protection application the crucial part as i mentioned before is the the capacity assessment so you you need a doctor or a healthcare professional to measure their capacity and the best way of doing that is, is to, to go and meet the person and talk it through with them but that's very difficult when when access has been so restricted some people have managed to assess via zoom it's not been ideal but it's it's been done and, and the court's been quite good about accepting evidence that's been obtained in that way but it's just not the same as being able to go and just talk to someone face to face and meet them martin obviously it's a very involved subject court of protection and lots more that could be discussed but for now, what is the best way for people to contact you if they want more information, Martin? The Warner's website, it's the easiest way to get hold of me, um, and that's got all my contact details and email address as well. I've been talking with Martin Terrell from Warner's Solicitors about the Court of Protection. This is one of a series of podcasts with Warner's Solicitors. Thank you for listening to this Warner's Solicitors podcast. To find out more about our expert legal teams and the advice and services they deliver for both individuals and businesses, please go to warners-solicitors.co.uk.